this morning, we are so blessed. Last night was incredible. I don't know if you've ever visited a Saturday night service, but it is, it is a powerful, powerful service. It's the same worship, the same message. Everything is Sunday morning. It's just another option for you. We had an incredible night last night. Our preacher spoke an incredible message that I know is going to bless you today. He is a dear friend of us. He, he is now family. This is his second time here. He spoke at Man Conference last year, spoke again at Man Conference. You see some of our uh, uh, guy toys still around campus. By the way, if uh, you have a Jeep and you parked it, uh, you are not in an actual parking spot out on the amphitheater. I'm just kidding. Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, go out to the amphitheater after service. You'll get a kick out of that. Feel free to take pictures, uh, climb up in the driver's seat. I, I put my son in the seat last night and put it on Facebook. So this is the last time I'm letting Asher park the car. Uh, so it was a it, it was fun. But he is a dear friend. He's family. He's just staff now. He's just part of our church, and he's just one of our pastors when he's in town uh, just to come and give a word to us. He is a great man. Last year when he was here, he was gearing up to go plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. How many know you have to hear from God to go to Detroit, Michigan? Nobody wants to plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. You have to have a burning bush to want to go to Detroit, Michigan. But he heard from God. He is planting a church in Detroit, and God's doing amazing things. Before he speaks... I want to give you a picture of what the last eight months of his life has looked like planting a church in Detroit, Michigan. Watch this with me. We're more excited, we're more at peace, we're more fulfilled. We don't, we don't know how many people are showing up. We don't have a building, but we're more fulfilled than we've ever been. And, uh, and it's just great having the relationships that we have. Well, somebody had told me that God would give you a supernatural love for your city. People have asked me, why in the world would you want to go to Detroit? Well, it's that easy. I love this area. And maybe I relate to the kind of people, maybe some hurting people, maybe some down and out people, the the economy, the jobs, all of those kind of things. But you know what? When you're right where God wants you to be, that's the sweet spot anyway. And that's kind of what led us to Detroit. Of course, we didn't have a frame of reference at all. We didn't know what to expect because I've never planted before. I've done some events and done big events with churches and stuff, but there's a base to work with. But we didn't know what to expect, and we followed a lot of the advice that Ark had given us. But for us, you know, it was a total faith step because I didn't know if I was going to be standing there speaking to my family and me and empty chairs or what. But, you know, here they came, and God always honors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, and he honors that. It's all about one person. It's not even about how many people show up. It's not about the masses, but it really is about one life. And if we can come together to bring one person to Christ or change one person's perspective of who the Lord really is, it makes it all worth it to me. Even though it was launch day and there was new people, you know, in the crowd, the way that Ken puts the word out there actually makes feel makes people feel comfortable enough that they they are at peace with themselves that they can get their life together. A highlight for me was to see somebody that I invited from just Facebook sending out an invite, and they came, and I had no idea they would come. You know, that's what this is all about: is reaching people that 
think that church doesn't have a, you know, they don't have a place in church. And to find something for them to connect with, it made it all worth it to me. It's really been an amazing journey for us. It started off, you know, a little challenging. But today when I walked out on the platform and uh, just began to share God's grace, it was just an amazing moment. And then when we were all done, we gathered together and started thanking our team, our launch team, our captains, all the hard work they had put in. My wife and I really reflected on the investment that the lead team at ARC had made in us for the Church of the Highlands, opening their doors for me to come spend some time and watch and learn, uh, really for my wife and two kids that really, they've been on this journey with me and trusted me and uh, it's really drawn us close together. So there's no such thing as a one-man show. There's a whole lot of people to thank and I I'm very grateful for an organization like ARC and I thank you. get kind of emotional watching that. Can we just give the Lord a good hand for his faithfulness, what he's doing here and in Detroit? Wow. I have to confess I hadn't watched that video all the way through until last night when I was sitting here getting ready to preach. But man, it just reminds me of the faithfulness of God. I'm so glad to be with you guys. I'm always honored when a church lets me come back for a second time. You know, I'm always kind of a little worried about that. But uh, I love your pastor and his wife. They're dear friends of mine. As many of you might not know, they're on our overseer board to New Generations Church in Detroit. And so he has his hands in what's going on there. And uh, just love them and appreciate their friendship and opening their doors to me and friendship. Um, and um, uh, Air, Pastor Aaron had Asher pray for me yes, last night on the way to the service. And he prayed this amazing prayer and just prayed that God would help me to preach good. The people would listen good. And he just prayed, man. I mean, I was like, man, this is, I'm having a God moment kind of thing. And so we are on our way to church this morning and we're in the car and Aaron looks back and says, Asher, pray for Pastor Ken again. And have you ever had a bad morning, anybody? <laughs> Ever have a bad hair day? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and, and Asher says, well, dad, I prayed for him yesterday. He ought to know how to do it by now. <laughs> and you're probably sitting here open. I hope he does know how to say something by now. Well, I'm going to take you to the book of second Corinthians chapter number three in just a moment. But I just want to, from an outsider, I wanted to try to accomplish two things today. Number one, I just wanted to encourage you where you're at as a church and also just kind of leave you with a challenge to keep on going the direction you are. Because from my perspective, I landed Thursday afternoon and I've been hanging out and doing different things with uh, some of you since I've been here. And, and I just want to say this, it is obvious that the glory of God is in your midst. It is obvious that the presence of God and the favor of God is blessing you. And I was here last year at this time, and it was good. But, man, you have gone from glory to glory. And, man, God is doing some incredible things. How many of you sense that, right? And uh, God's just doing some good things. Amen. And, and I'm just excited to be able to be here and maybe bring a fresh set of eyeballs and, and kind of point a few things out. But, 
But, but sometimes when we talk about the glory, we're looking for maybe looking for something and overlooking some of the obvious. And just in every relationship, I got to go by the hospital and visit uh, with Pastor Aaron to see John Lohr. I got to go on the Marine base. Of course, I got to be here Friday night with all the guys hanging out. Got to go to some lunches with some of the elders and just different things. And the glory of God is really on Coastline Church. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, uh, Paul begins to talk to the church of Corinth about the glory of God. And so I wanted to read that to you and kind of just unpack that a little bit. And here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says this, starting in verse number 7 and 8. It says this, Now, if the ministry that brought, that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Basically, what Paul is telling the church of Corinth is the same thing that I want to share with you today. He's saying, look, guys, in the Old Testament, under the law, under the Old Covenant, there was glory that came with that. But he's telling the church of Corinth that, man, we are now under the new dispensation, the New Testament. We are under the new covenant of grace. And if the old covenant came with glory, how much more those of us that have been born by the Spirit and not by the law should reflect the glory of God? Then he goes on to say in verse number 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I kind of want to put that text into context because the reason uh, that Paul says this is because how many know if you live under the Old Testament, under law, under rules, under regulation, and under religion, that can put you in bondage, right? If you only come to church and all you get are rules, then it's hard to reflect the glory of God. But he says, man, under this new dispensation of grace, we are born of the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of the things I've felt has been exciting about being with you is there's just a freedom here. I mean, Friday night, guys high five and share and praying with each other, talking about their journey and God. There's a freedom in that. When we were worshiping today, man, there's just a freedom as we were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Man, there's just, there's a freedom in that. Isn't it nice not to come to church and be bound by religion, but be born of the Spirit and sense the glory of God on our lives? Then he says this, and this is kind of the verse that I want us to unpack a little bit today. In verse number 18, he says, and we who with unveiled faces, and that's just another way of saying we that really have no partition. There, there's no veil. When Jesus died, he rent the veil. There, there's nothing between us and God. There's no hindrance. He, he says, and we with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory. Wow. Let me just kind of put that in our language. He says, look, those of us now that are living under this new dispensation, we are reflecting God's glory. And we're going from glory to glory. We're being transformed. We, we, we've gotten saved, but now we're being transformed. And, and the longer that we live with God, what Paul is saying is the more of God's glory ought to show up in us. 
How many know we ought to look more like Jesus the longer that we follow Jesus? And that's basically what Paul is saying to us. And, and he, he's telling us that we ought to have the reflection of God with the reflection of God's glory on our life. And that all sounds good, but if you're like me, I grew up in church that was Pentecostal in theology, but charismatic in personality, and we used the word glory a lot. I heard it all the time growing up, but I never really knew what it meant. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was always in relation to some feeling we had or some emotions. And, and I think feelings and emotions are fine. But when, when Paul says that we should be reflecting the glory of God, well, what should I look like? What, what should that look like? What, what am I reflecting? Well, John begins to give us a picture in the book of Revelation of what the glory of God looks like. And uh, how many know the book of Revelation can be a tough one to understand? It's filled with images and, I mean, it's got all kinds of things. It's got dragons and beasts and toes and, you know, I mean, it's got all kinds of things going on in there. And, um, but, but John was trying to describe in a 2,000-year-old language some things that we would see even today. And in Revelations chapter 1, he begins to talk about the full weight of Jesus' glory, the, the weight. And that's what glory is. It's the, uh, it's the Greek word kabod, which means the presence of Jesus. And in Revelations 1, he talks about the presence of Jesus. And in Revelation 4, he picks up talking about what the glory of God, the, the presence of God, what does that look like? And that's the very thing that Paul just told us we should be reflecting. So I'm going to pick up right in the middle of the book of Revelations chapter number 4. And kind of give you some of the verbiage that John is using trying to describe the, the, the picture of God's glory. And here's what he says. He says, also, in verse number 6, also before the throne there were what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal in the center around the throne, were, uh, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. I told you it can be some kind of crazy language, right? And then he says this. He says, um, the first living creature was like a lion. Now, they're not four living creatures. The, it, it says that, but, but it's really one creature with four heads. Okay, so that's kind of some weird language, but he's trying to describe God's glory. And here's what he says. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second one was like an ox, and the third one was a face that looked like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. John is saying this is what the glory of God looks like. The glory of God, he, he, he's, he's basically he's trying to say, man, the glory of God, it looks like, and, and he can't come up with the right language. And, and so he, make, he says one adjective, and he says, well, man, that doesn't contain it all. And so he throws out another adjective, and, well, that doesn't really contain. Have you ever tried to describe to somebody that's a non-believer what God has done in your life? or what God is doing in your church, and, and you try to describe it, and, and you're trying to find the right language that they can relate to, and, and you find yourself saying, well, man, what God did in my life, it was kind of like, and, and then you realize that doesn't contain it all, so you give another word. Well, that's what's happening with John. He says, man, the glory of God, it, it looks like an ox. <laughs> wow, it looks like an ox. And then he said, well, no, that isn't all. It, it looks like, it kind of looks like the face of a man. 
And then he says, well, not, that's not totally, it looks like an eagle. And then he says, it looks like a lion. In the next verse that your pastor read to you today and that the worship team sang about, he goes on to say that the angels were in that glory. And when they got in the glory and the presence of God, they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And I used to not understand that. I thought, well, man, the angels, like, they keep repeating the same thing. What's that with the redundancy? But really what it is, is every time they're trying to describe God wholly about the time they recognize God in one dimension, he reveals himself in another dimension before they can even get it out of their mouth. So it's like he's holy, and then they see like an onion being peeled back. Oh, he's holy. Oh, he's holy. I mean, you know, God is beyond our comprehension, right? And so John is trying to tell us that. And just so that you know, I'm not just pulling that out. Ezekiel, thousands of years prior to John on the island of Patmos, he prophesied about the coming presence and glory of God. I want to read that to you, then we'll connect all the dots. He says in Ezekiel, the first chapter, Ezekiel says uh, some pretty profound things. And uh, in verse number uh, one, or excuse me, verse number 10, he says, their faces look like this. Each of the four have the face of a man And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. And in verse number 28, he says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord when I saw it. He said, in other words, Ezekiel saying, this is what it looked like. When I seen the glory, this is what it looked like. That's the best way I know how to describe it. That's how Ezekiel is saying. And the reason this is important for us to grab is because I came to town and I see the glory of God on Coastline Church. And I want to encourage you with that, but I also want to challenge you. Don't lose the glory of God, the reflection of God. Because just because a church says God on the outside doesn't mean that God's showing up on the inside. Doesn't mean that the glory is there. And I see the glory of God. And you say, well, why is that so important? And the reason it's important is because sometimes as Christians and even as people, we can become too consumed with what we're doing and not enough attention on what we're becoming. And Paul just said, look, Christians, you should be reflecting the glory of God. And you say, preacher, did you just say we're supposed to look like an ox and a lion and an eagle? Well, in a kind of roundabout nice way, that is what I'm saying. We're supposed to look like that because that's what the glory of God looks like. When we went to Michigan, we showed up to a city that was dead and dying and hurting, and people are very resistant, very hurt, very cold, and we had a very specific plan, and we had a very specific purpose. But how many know that sometimes we can get so concentrated on our purpose in life and our plan in life and forget our person in life? And I have a feeling God is more concerned with who I am becoming than what I am doing. And so what does that glory look like? We've read it, and I wanted to give it to you. It shows up in four faces. So let's unpack that and talk about what his glory looks like, what those four faces look like. The first one, he said, the glory of God looked like an ox. And in your notes, the ox all through Scripture, represents the servant. The ox is a servant. And and I just think this is a powerful thought because I have seen servants around Coastline Church. 
The ox is a servant in a lot of ways. First of all, he is the beast of burden. And what he does, we find him in scripture, he's plowing fields. And I want to encourage you, Coastline Church, to keep plowing fields. In other words, making ways where it seems like there's no way. In other words, breaking up the ground so that people can come to know Jesus. When things look impossible, when things look hard, have the faith to break the ground, plow through, and make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Pray that God would heal people when the doctor said that there's no healing in sight. Pray that God would allow you to continue to do the things that the economy says there's no way the servant, the ox just continues to break ground. The other thing that the ox does is it's a beast of burden. It carries burdens. Man, I've seen that since I've been here. It's a real genuine, the Bible says, bury one another's burdens, care for one another. When I first landed, man, I was exhausted from flying. And the first thing Pastor Aaron wanted to do was, hey, man, we got to go by the hospital. What was he doing? He was reflecting the glory of God. And when your pastor and his wife reflect the glory of God, then the church begins to reflect the glory of God. And when the church begins to reflect the glory of God, your community and your homes and your families, Families begin to reflect the glory of God. You see, it's the, the glory of God is not some spooky, mystical thing. It's very tangible. It shows up in the way we serve one another and the way that we carry one another's burdens. I was amazed. I was here Friday night for the man's conference. And can you believe I seen the glory of God at the man's conference? These guys were serving one another. I mean, it had to be the glory of God. I seen men doing dishes. I seen men sweeping floors. I see men with vac. Sorry, guys, to give the secret away. But the glory of God was here, man. I mean, guys are washing, sweeping, and, and doing it with a cheerful heart. And then at the end, the ox ultimately lays down his life on the altar and dies to himself. You know, in all of these, we see Jesus. And matter of fact, scholars believe that all four of the faces that we see are reflected in one of the Gospels. And in the Gospel of Mark, when Mark begins to write, and that's in your notes, uh, the ox is best, this characteristic of Jesus is best described in the book of Mark because two of the books talk about the pedigree of Jesus, but Mark never talks about the pedigree of Jesus. Mark just jumps right in. It doesn't say any of the begats, and it doesn't go, it just jumps right in because who cares about the pedigree of a servant, Right? And what would happen if we quit trying to jockey for position? What would happen if we didn't care to give our resume or our pedigree? I got to thinking in our church back in Detroit, what would it look like from its inception if those that are on the dream team and those that are the dream team captains, what would happen if every usher, every parking lot attendant, every setup crew, every light tech, sound man, altar worker, if every single person in the band, everywhere in the church, got involved and took on the glory of God and reflected a servant's heart and wasn't involved with any ulterior motives and we carried one another's burdens. What could happen in the city of Detroit if we do that? Better yet, what could happen in the city of Carlsbad and the surrounding areas if we reflect the servant glory of God? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our homes if we just reflected the glory of God? Wow, it's an interesting thought. The second face that we see that John seen in the book of Revelation was the face of man. And in your notes, man represents friendship or relationship. 
And that's another thing that I've been so encouraged as I've been with you this weekend, as I've seen the glory of God and the fact that this church, and I'm, I'm just excited about this. Pastor and Aaron and I grew up in an era where the church was, a lot of it was platform driven. It was personality driven. Everything was driven by what happened on the platform and some personality and some charisma. And it's so refreshing to be coming into a season where God is getting rid of that and the churches that God's glory is on is the churches that are reflecting him in relationship and the church's strength is not one personality but the church's strength is the friendships and the relationships that are being made through a congregation how many appreciate that right that's what God is doing amen and and I got to thinking about that it's wonderful to come to church on Sunday and I hope that when you come on Sunday even on today I hope that you get educated in the scripture. I hope that you get motivated in scripture and there's some inspiration and education and motivation and all that. But I got to recognizing in life that life transformation, it doesn't really happen with a man standing on a platform. It happens when there is the glory of God being reflected in the face of a man or in relationship. See, relationship really happens, or excuse me, the glory really is reflected in our life, and discipleship really happens when we build friendships with one another. I was blessed. Your pastor was missing from church a couple of weeks ago. Well, uh, he left this sunny Southern California to come to Detroit um, because of a friendship. And he came and he reflected the heart of God to me. He came and he reflected. He, he didn't come for an honorarium. He didn't come to sell products. He didn't even come to preach. He just come to be my friend because he recognizes when you're in a church plant in a cold city, man, that sometimes it can get lonely and the grind can get to you. And he heard it in my voice and he bought an airline ticket. I didn't buy it. And he flew out there and said, I'm just here to be your friend. I'm not here to get anything from you. I'm not here to preach to you. I'm just here to hang out with you, encourage you and your dream team. And man, I felt the glory of God. And what would happen in the church if we started building relationships with one another? What would happen if we overlooked our differences and our opinions and our personality types and we just said, can't we all just get along and reflect the glory and the power of God? Do you know that 87% of the success that we experience in life is directly a result of how we get along with other people? It's the glory of God. The gospel that best reflects relationship is the gospel of Luke. Because if you study the gospel of Luke, what's interesting about the gospel of Luke is Luke then takes you, when, when the book of Luke opens, he takes you all the way back to the life of Adam. Because he wants you to see Jesus not just as God, he wants you to see Jesus as a man. He wants you to see that you can have a relationship with him. And, and if you notice in the book of Luke, all of the parables in the book of Luke, they're, they're, they're parables about relationships relationship and their excuse me their parables and parables are stories have you ever noticed in life when 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 you're one-on-one -on -one with friend you're not preaching and lecturing one another one-on-one -on -one, you're telling you're telling parables 
I sat around at at an outdoor picnic, uh, at some lunch at one of the elders' homes, at Ed's home this week. And and what did we do? We just sat around telling stories. We went to a restaurant last night with some people. And what did we do? We just sat around telling stories, telling parables, building relationships, sowing into one another. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes 2 says, because when one falls, the other one's there to pick him up, right? That's the glory of God. And I see it in your church, and I want you to be encouraged to keep it. The third face that we see that John talked about was the face of an eagle. And I like this one. And, 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 and I could have pulled out all the Greek words to try to tell you what an eagle is, but I tried to find some English words that are synonymous with what the eagle represents, and I couldn't come up with one. And in our language, these are the best words, and there's some blanks in your notes, but it, it represents dignity, and it represents honor. It represents excellence and integrity. And I got to looking around, and I, I just feel like in, in America's culture in general, I'm stereotyping, I'm painting with a broad brush, but things like integrity and things like honor, it just seems like they're, they're rare. It's hard to find a culture of honor. It, it's hard to find a culture of integrity. And I thought, what would it look like if the church just began to reflect the glory of God to where we looked like an eagle, that we had some dignity about us, that we had some honor about us? Are you, are you hearing that today? That, that we had some excellence, that whatever we did, we did it with excellence, that, 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 that we had some integrity. And, and let me just say this. I, I'm, I guess I'm part of the team now, but I'm also a guest enough to say, because I don't know you well enough, I could say this, that integrity means... You do what you say you're going to do. There's a profound thought. What if we just, what if we said when we're going to meet at 7 o'clock, we actually showed up at 7 o'clock and not 7.05? What would happen? See, promptness is a virtue of kings. In other words, you will never get promoted in life by being late. And we're not teaching our kids anything by getting them late to everything. If they're going to be promoted in life, they need to have the face of an eagle. They need to have some dignity, some honor, some excellence, and some integrity. And their word has to be their vow. Right? Some integrity. And what would it look like if the church just said, this is what I'm going to do, and we delivered? What would happen if we had honor and developed a culture of honor? And when people walk through the door, no matter where they come from, we honored them, not just the guy holding the microphone, not just the person that has a name badge that says, I'm on the dream team. What if we honored everybody? I moved out to Washington in 2007, and eagles are pretty plenteous out there. And, and I wanted to see one. I'd only been there for a couple of weeks, and I was dying to see an eagle. And, and so somebody told me up in the North County, Wadcom County, there's a place called Mosquito Lake. It's kind of a canyon, and you will see eagles there by the dozens. They're molting there. So I got on my Harley, and I rode up to uh, Mosquito Lake, and sure enough, I pulled around there, and, and it seemed like there was hundreds. There probably wasn't, but I was overwhelmed. There were eagles. And I'm telling you, they are some serious creatures. Have you ever seen them? It's not like Tweety Bird. I mean, they could fly away with you and your family and the minivan. You know what I mean? I mean, they're some crazy animals. They're like tall. And I, it wasn't good enough that I could just see one. I wanted to see one fly, like take off. You know, I just couldn't leave it alone. So I, I, it wasn't like I could just say fly, you know. It, so I had to come up with something. So the big idea I had was turn on my Harley and crack the throttle one 
time. And man, I turned on my Harley and cracked the throttle. And I'm telling you, there was an eagle. He looked at me kind of like, I'll kill you if you do that again, you know? And I mean, with one swoop, that eagle, I mean, he just said, and he took off and I was like, man, I'm out of here. (laughs) I mean, I was having like this patriotic moment. I felt like honor and dignity and excellence all in one. You know, I was like, yeah, that's the glory of God. I mean, it was crazy. A couple weeks later, I was riding my motorcycle along a river in Montana. And I seen an eagle swoop down right beside me, grab a fish. And with one, he just soared into the heavens. I was like, man, that's one bad animal. <laughs> that is, <laughs> I mean, it was like I was in awe. I forgot I was doing 70 miles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, it, it's just incredible. And, and I asked a farmer, I said, look, I see blackbirds and little other birds picking on eagles sometimes. And, 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 and he said, yeah, they'll pick on them. And I said, man, why not? Them eagles could just tear them apart. He said, watch next time. He said, the eagle never fights back. The eagle just says, And just soars to altitudes that those little stinker birds can't get to. And I got to thinking, that's the glory of God. What would happen in the church? What would happen instead of fighting about our theology and our denomination and our opinions? What would happen in the church world if we would just quit all that nitpicking? What would happen if when we disagreed with somebody, we just said, and soared to a new height? Huh? That's the glory of God. The gospel that best reflects the eagle or the dignity and the honor is the book of Matthew. Matthew, if you study the book of Matthew, you'll see that Matthew shows Jesus as king, as majestic. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any of the other books. And Matthew quotes scriptures about respect and about honor and about honoring Jesus as our Lord. The last one that I want to talk to you about today is the face of the lion. The face of the lion. He says, man, the glory of God kind of looks like the face of a lion. And in your notes, the, the lion represents power. And, and I, I kind of hate just to use the word power because it's more like the conquering spirit. And man, I just think as Christians, if God be for us, He is more than the world is against us. And... and and, and I love that. I, I listen to some of the, particularly the pioneers of this church, talk about the stories of how we got here today. And then there's a lion spirit. There's the glory that says we are overcomers. We weren't going to let anything stand in our way. And because of that, look what's happened today. Look at the glory that is coming today. Us that stood in the trenches. And you know, we got to develop a, a, a generation of Christians that quit backsliding and falling apart every time something doesn't go their way. How many know the rains come on the just and the unjust? Battles are going to come. Bumps are going to come. Bruises are going to come. But the good news is when we reflect the glory of God, then we are the victors and not the victims. And we are the conquerors, not the conquered. We are the head and not the tail. And wherever you're at right now is not where you have to stay in life. Your best days are yet ahead of you when you reflect the glory and the power of the lion in your life. Aren't you glad to hear that today? That's the glory of God. Amen. That is the glory of God. And of course, there's only one book of the Bible that is, uh, or one gospel that is left. And the lion is best described in the book of John. Because the book of John shows God in the beginning. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's not a whole lot more power than that. He says, I'm it. (laughs) Everything starts and stops right here. He says, I am God, and besides me, there is no other. I want to leave you with that encouragement and that challenge at the same time. I want to leave you with the encouragement that from an outsider's perspective, man, I really see the glory of God. I see people serving one another. I I, I, I see people serving a community. I I look around here and, man, I, I just see relationships and friendships. I look around here and I see some integrity and some honor and dignity and excellence happening. I just love excellence. I I heard your pastor talking about we're going to redo the children's. We're building a prayer uh, chapel. I mean, the excellence and then the power. I see that. So that's my encouragement. My challenge is to continue personally to carry the reflection of God. Because when we come together personally with the glory, the glory of God corporately is an unresistible force that people are hungry for in our world today. Do you receive that today? Amen. I want to pray with you right before I leave and your pastor comes back. I just want to pray that God's glory would continue to shine upon you and your homes. And uh, so the way I do it is just every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to pray God's blessing on you. And right before I do, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Ken, I I really can't begin to reflect God's glory because I'm really not in a covenant relationship with him. I'm not following him. I'm not serving God. My, I don't have a relationship with Christ. Well, we want to give you that opportunity. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I, need, to, I, I need to make my life right with Christ. I want to become a Christ follower. I want to begin to reflect God's glory in my life. And you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. You can take step number one today. And you might say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says this, that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So if you're here, nobody's looking around, nobody's moving around, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And you just say, hey, preacher, and you've already heard your pastor say, we don't embarrass people. We don't call you out. We don't do any of that. But in the closing prayer, you'd say, preacher, I want to get my light right with Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to take the first step to becoming a follower of Christ. If that's you in this closing prayer today, you'd say, that's me. Would you just slip your hand up all over this room? Just slip it up right where you're seated today and say, that's me. I, need to, I want to get my life right with Christ. I want to be a follower of Christ. Okay, there are hands that are up. I'm not going to embarrass anybody at all today, but I'm going to, I, I probably do this a little bit different than your pastor does. So as I'm the guest, so just help me out. I'd like to ask everyone in the room to repeat this simple prayer with me for those few that have raised their hand this morning. So just repeat this prayer out loud with me. And those that raised their hand, if you'll say it and mean it, God is faithful and just to you today as he begins to reflect his glory in your life. Come on, would you join me in this prayer? Father God, thank you for Jesus. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to tell you that there are those that prayed that prayer today and all of heaven is rejoicing. And I want to just ask you to join heaven in rejoicing for those that said that prayer today. I just want to thank you for allowing me to be with you. Your pastor is going to come and give you a little further instruction. God bless you. Thanks for allowing me to be here today.